Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today we are continuing our series called God and Politics. And I'm assuming since you're here, you probably haven't seen the first two weeks. So uh, if you're here, it means you haven't been sufficiently offended yet. And that was my goal was to offend you. Um, And I can assure you, judging from some of the emails I've gotten, there have been a few people offended. But by and large, you know, what this series has been has not been about offending people. Um, I I had an email from uh, or a, a phone call with a young lady this last week. Uh, she's an IUP student. I believe it was a poli-sci class. She had a paper to write. And she said, hey, can I interview you for my class? I said, sure. And she said, I want to talk about this series. And she's been attending recently. And uh, she said, I'm curious. And she said, can, one of the questions she asked is, why are you doing this series? And I told her, I said, what I saw in my people, in the people of this church, what I saw going on in our culture, in our community, it, it, it hurt my heart. It grieved my heart to see what people were going through and what people were feeling and what people were, were saying, quite frankly. And I wanted to say something. I wanted to address it so that we could help you be as emotionally, spiritually healthy as possible. I want your heart to be healthy moving into this election season and moving out of the election season. Um, and and that, is, that is my desire as we have gone through this series is that that I can pastor you through this, that I can help lead you well through this so that your heart will be healthy on the other side of it. And, and the good news is there will be another side of it, by the way, okay? This election season will come to an end at some point. COVID will come to an end at some point, maybe. Um, but we're gonna get through this. And my, my hope is that I can help, help you have a healthier heart through this process and have a higher affection for Jesus through this. So that was what I told her, but what I've been telling you week after week is our goal for this series is to disagree politically and love unconditionally. And I love it because I've had a few of you repeat this back to me. Uh, even some of the emails I've gotten have said, hey, I kind of disagree about this, but we can disagree politically and love unconditionally. And I'm like, yes, we can, that's right, right? So we disagree politically, but we love unconditionally. Another question I've been asking over the last few weeks is this, will you filter your politics through your faith rather than craft a faith that supports your politics? And if you've been paying attention over the last few weeks, this series is not just about politics. This series is about life. Because this question is true for life as well. Will you filter your life through faith or will you craft a faith that supports your life? The last few weeks as we've been talking about conflict and what this looks like, this could fit your marriage or your working relationships or your friendships or whatever it might be if there's application there. Because really what I want you to do is be able to get along with people well. Love people well, love God well. That's really what our heart is. And so the question is, are you going to allow God to be the center of your world and let your faith be the filter for your life? Or are you trying to, to make a faith that fits with your lifestyle? And unfortunately, too many people, especially in Western culture, we have, we have fashioned a faith that is convenient for our lifestyle. And, and faith in Jesus Christ was never supposed to be comfortable or easy or convenient. But yet that's what we found in the way we do church and the way we, when we craft things for consumers. And at the end of the day, if, if all our faith is is something to be consumed, then we're in deep, deep trouble. 
Last week, we talked about the question, what do you love? The week before that, we asked the question, what do you believe? And there's a system to this. I believe that what we believe, it helps shape what we love. I love my wife, and part of why I love my wife is what I believe about her and how I feel about her. I love my girls. I'm not really sure why I love my girls, but I love my girls. Why? Because what if I, I believe about them? It's harder for me to love some people because of what I believe about them, right? So our beliefs drive our affections, and then our, address, our affections drive our actions. So what we love will motivate us and push us and direct us into action. And so we set it up this way, and this week we're talking about what do you do? What do you do? Uh, this was going to be our last weekend of the series. In this last week, I decided to extend it one more week. So we'll get one more week where I can really tick you off if you like. Uh, and because my feeling was this. I don't know if you know this. Did anybody know there's an election on Tuesday? Did you know that? It's coming up in case you haven't heard, Tuesday. Uh, in my heart, I, I felt like, you know what? The Sunday after that Tuesday, there's going to be some people who are disappointed. There are going to be some people who feel like the rug have been pulled out from under them. And there's also gonna be some people that are jubilant, that maybe want to gloat a little bit. And what I wanna do is help us navigate that too. So we talked about what do you believe, what do you love, what do you do, and then next week we're gonna be talking about the question, what now? So make sure you're here next week as we walk through that because I believe next week is gonna be the most important message in this series. So what do you do? Uh, Matthew chapter 16 Verse 13, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Which is a reasonable question. He said, what's the word? What's, what, do I have some street cred? What are people saying about me? And his disciples said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. People weren't really, weren't really sure who Jesus was. They saw what he was doing. They heard what he was saying. He was unique. He was different. And they knew that there was something special, but they couldn't quite put their finger on it. So they were speculating. Here's all the things that people say. And then he drills down and he asks them, he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus responds and he says, that's right, Peter, and the Holy Spirit has shown you that, and he expands a little bit, but, but really what I wanna pause with is this question today. But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? The word say here in the Greek is a, is a Greek word, lego, which some of you will never forget that because you step on those daily. It makes you, <laughs> makes you curse question your, your spirituality when you step on them barefooted in the middle of the night. But the word lego is the word that's translated as say. And here's what it means. To say, to speak, I love this, to affirm over, maintain, to teach, to exhort. And so what Jesus is asking here, he's asking his followers, his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you teach people that I am? Who do you affirm that I am? Who are you advising people that I am? When you speak, who do you say that I am? Now, I don't know if you know this, but people have a lot to say in the world we live in today. Did you know that? It feels like people have more to say, but they have less to say than ever before. Um, we spend hours on social media looking at what people ate for lunch or dinner. Well, why? 
Why do we care, right? Um, we spend hours looking at opinions and talking to people, and at the end of the day, people are saying things, but are they really saying things of value? And if we're not careful, we begin to get involved in this, and we are saying lots of things, but the question is, are we saying anything that's worth saying? So two points today. I've told you before, good sermons, three points. Bad sermons, two points, two points. Our words declare the identity of Jesus. And you will die, Mel, of course our words declare the identity of Jesus, right? It's when you share your faith, you share your testimony. Hey, can I tell you about Jesus? What are you doing? You're declaring the identity of Jesus. Hey, let me share with you, um, you know, where I was. Man, this is where I was before I knew Christ. And then I came into relationship with man and everything changed. You know, I wasn't really going to church. My friend invited me to church, and I, 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 man, I raised my hand. I said a prayer. My life has been different since that moment. It's crazy. Like, we think that's what we're talking about when our words declare the identity of Jesus. And it's true. And to be honest with you, we don't do enough of that. <laughs> we don't mind sharing our story about political stuff. Well, I used to believe that, but now I believe this, and here's why. But when it comes to faith, we go, oh, I don't know. Um, but it's not just sharing our, our testimony. That's important. We need to be ready to share our story of how our lives have been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, okay? But everything we talk about, everything we say is telling people who Jesus is to us. Everything we don't say is telling people who Jesus is to us. And the truth is, many people can't hear what we're saying about Jesus because we're too busy talking about our candidate. We have lots to say about how much we love Joe Biden or how much we love Donald Trump, but we have very little to say about how much we love Jesus Christ. Psalm 19, verse 14. I read this verse to you a few weeks ago. The psalmist says this, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, a couple weeks ago when we shared this, we were talking about our belief. What do I believe? And, and what the psalmist is saying here is, hey, let, let my beliefs be pleasing to you. Let the things that I believe bring pleasure to you, God. And I think this is a filter for us today to be able to say, um, is, is what I believe, does what I believe bring pleasure to God? Is it pleasing to God? Does what I believe about my candidate, does what I believe about my, my political party, does what I believe about my ideology, does that bring pleasure to God or not? Does what I love bring pleasure to God? Does what I say bring pleasure to God? And I think this is a filter for us to ask ourselves, is what I'm saying bringing pleasure to God? Does it please God or not? Is what I'm posting on social media bring pleasure to God or not? Are the things I'm not saying bringing pleasure to God or not? Are, are the interactions I'm having with people at work, the, the conversations I'm having with that old ex-girlfriend online, are these things bringing pleasure to God? And what the psalmist says here is, I don't want just my words to bring you pleasure, God, because we know we can fake our words, we can fake our actions to the people around us, right? But he says, no, I want, I want my beliefs to bring pleasure to you. I want my affections to bring pleasure to you. And I want the things I say and do to bring pleasure to you. So my first filter for you today is, is it pleasing to God? Is what you're saying, is what you're doing bringing pleasure to God? 
Proverbs 18, 21 says this, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Oh, does this convict anybody? If, even if it doesn't convict you, it convicts me. Can I just be honest with you? Um, this, this is me. I've felt the consequences a few times. I know you haven't because you love Jesus more than me. I've felt the consequences from saying stupid things sometimes. And part of it is because I love to get a laugh out of people. I love to have, so I've got jokes locked and loaded. I am ready to go. And it's painful for people because sometimes I'll say a joke and I'll be like, oh gosh, I probably shouldn't have said that. And I've had a few consequences. I've, I've had to walk back some things. I've had to say, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean for it to be like that. I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. Please forgive me. There have been consequences for my rash behavior, for my words that I thought were gonna get a good laugh or whatever it is, but at the end of the day, it brought pain and hurt. So when I was a young youth pastor, I didn't tell my story, this story in the other two services. This is bonus coverage. I was a young youth pastor, and uh, there was a girl in my youth ministry who was so annoying. And I know you're supposed to love all the people equally. I just love everybody. Everybody's awesome. Some people are annoying. Let's just be honest. And this girl was so annoying. And I don't even remember what she said exactly. But I had this moment where I was like, I was ready. Like my finger, not even the safety position. It was on the trigger. Like I'm ready. Bring it. And she said something to me. And I just gave it to her double barrel. Right in the chest. I mean like. Bam! And I did it. I was like, oh, yeah! Woo! And man, the Holy Spirit convicted me so much. Because my flesh felt good in that moment. I was like, man, I got her good. She deserved it. She was being mean to me. You're you're a 23-year-old man. And you just trashed a 14-year-old girl. You're proud of yourself? Right? And in that moment, I had this, this moment where I just felt so convicted by the Holy Spirit that, that my job is to shepherd this girl. My, my job is to care for her. And in this moment, I just wounded her. In this moment, I had an opportunity to speak life or death, and I spoke death over her. Now, did that doom her for the rest of her life? No, probably not. But did I help her? Probably not. What I didn't understand is the value of my words that my words carry weight and authority and power and that the power of life and death are are resident in my tongue, in what I speak, in what I say. And you might look at me and go, well, yeah, that's great for you, Pastor Mel, but you've got a lot of influence and you've got this big church and all these things, but not me. No, 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 you do. Um, I talk to adults all the time who struggle with the weight of things that have been spoken over them, even as children. Parents who spoke death over their kids. Sunday school teachers, pastors, coaches, whoever it is. People who had the opportunity to speak life or death, and they spoke death, and it crushed them, and they're carrying baggage from that into adulthood. Why? Because our words matter. 
Our words have weight. Our words have value. And let me help you with this. You have the opportunity to speak life or death. You've got a circle of of influence that I don't have. There are people in your life that you can speak life or death into. And you have the option. When you speak life into others, something powerful happens in us too. Did you know that? It affirms me. It builds me up whenever I build others up. I think this is the way God designed it, is is to edify the body this way. So the same is true when I speak death over someone. Did you know that? And let me get a little more, (laughs) let me get a little more political. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and Donald Trump and Mike Pence are all people who Jesus loves desperately and passionately, and he willingly laid down his life for all of them. And when I trash one of them, when I call them names unfairly, and you might even say it's fairly, it's not, we're impugning someone who carries the image of God, someone who God loves desperately and passionately. And so what we have to do is understand that my words have the power of life and death, even if those people will never hear the words, even if those people are somebody I don't even know, they still have the power of life and death, and it might produce life and death in me, even if it doesn't in them. So the filter I would ask you to use is, are the words I'm using, are the things I'm saying producing life or death in me and around me? You have the power of life and death. What are you producing? Proverbs 15, 28 says this, the heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. Can I help you with some marriage counseling right here? (laughs) Gentlemen, when your wife comes downstairs, ready for a date night, ready to, to go on some appointment, and they've gotten a little bit dressed up, and they say something like this, does this dress make my hips look big? This is where I want you to remember this verse right here. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. Does this dress make my hips look big? No, your hips do. That is the inappropriate answer, okay? Does this, does, do these pants make me look fat? No, your rear end does. That is all the wrong answer. It might be hilarious in the moment, but your wife will kill you in your sleep. <laughs> and we can make jokes about this, but let's be honest. Let's be honest. We've all said things we shouldn't. We've all responded emotionally to something when we shouldn't have, and it always causes problems. And What the writer of Proverbs says is the heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The the heart of the godly doesn't have to apologize for saying stupid things because they are filtering it before they get there. Remember, what comes out of us is is evidence of what is in us. So if, if I'm saying things that are ungodly, then that is evidence that there's something in me that's ungodly. There's there's something in me that's wrong. So if, if you're somebody who 
is always having to apologize for what they're saying or what they're doing, and you recognize the fact that you're leaving a trail of people behind you that are hurt and broken because of what you've said or done, then maybe you have to ask yourself this next filter. Is what I'm saying and doing evidence of my heart's condition? And the, ev- the answer to this is yes. I've talked to people, and they have regret, and they'll say, I can't believe I said that. That is not me. And this is the bad news. It is you. There'll be times when I'll I'll do something stupid or say something stupid and I'll wanna go, man, that's not me. The, The unfortunate truth is it is me. There's something in me that came out in that moment. And does it mean I'm going to hell? No, not necessarily. But what it means is there's something in my heart that needs to be submitted to Christ. There's something in my heart that's not fully surrendered. And I need God to take my whole heart, my whole life. I need to be fully surrendered to him. And so if there are moments when you are are trashing people, you're saying things that are ungodly, you're, you're... Maybe you can make yourself feel better because you go, well, I don't say this stuff. I don't post this stuff on social media. But no, if it's resident in your heart, maybe, maybe you see that news report and you rage like in you, it just boils up. Good for you for not saying anything. If it's still in your heart, there's something wrong. There, there are disordered affections that we need to reorder. We need to allow God to work in our lives. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. The heart of the wicked has so much garbage to talk about other people that they can't say enough. We've all been around these people, haven't we? One of the things I want you to do is ask yourself, am I one of those people? Am I saying things that really is evidence of what's going on in my heart? And if you don't like the answer to that, maybe it's time to say, God, I want you to do something in my heart. God, I, I've been trashing the other political party. I've been trashing this ideology. I've been, I've been on a campaign. And the reality is maybe your campaign is more about your political party than it is about uh, the campaign that God is on to see lost people come to know him. And if it is, there's an issue there. Ephesians 4.29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. This is the filter. Are the words I'm using foul or abusive? Are the words I'm using good and helpful? If your words aren't good and helpful, then you're speaking the wrong language. Um, And I want to help you with this. This doesn't mean you can't correct people. You can correct people, but you don't have to be a jerk, right? You can correct people in love. You can speak truth in love to people. Sometimes I'm a jerk, but I I do my best to speak truth in love to our staff, to go, hey, man, maybe we shouldn't have done it this way. Maybe we should redirect. Maybe, Maybe we came up short, whatever it is, but it's okay. We can correct in love. It doesn't mean we don't correct when we speak words that are are good and helpful, it also doesn't mean that, that we lie. This doesn't mean that we tell our kids, uh, man, you're the greatest singer ever. And they're not the greatest singer ever. Well, I don't, I don't want to be hurtful to them. Is it helpful to tell them that they should pursue a career in singing when they've got the worst voice ever? 
No, absolutely not. Is it, is it helpful to say you should go to the NBA and your child is 5'2 as a senior in high school? Probably not. Let's be honest. For most of us, if we told our children, you could be president of the United States someday, we'd love to say that. Honestly, I don't know if they could. I mean, we don't have very many millionaires sitting in the room, and I think you have to be a millionaire to be president, according to what it's looked like lately. So if that's the case, then it's probably not going to happen. Does that mean you squash their dreams? No. You still encourage them. You still speak life into them. But you don't use foul and abusive language. You understand that your words carry life and death. You build up. You encourage. There's a passage I found. Psalm chapter 34. One of my favorite verses in Psalm 34, but this isn't one of them. It's a little further up. But this is what it says in verse 11. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want to live a life that's long and prosperous? And if I ask that question today, if we're going to be honest, people would be like, yeah, I wouldn't mind living a long time and being prosperous. That sounds like a good deal to me. And this is where those infomercials come in, where people like, actually buy the 30-minute like, uh, like, you know, real estate developer thing, where I'm going to teach you to be a real estate tycoon in your area, right? You're like, I live in Shalakta. He's like, I don't care. You can be a real estate tycoon in Shalakta. <laughs> Okay, sounds like it might be a scam to me. It's not, I promise, right? We sign up for these things. We wanna know how can we be rich and comfortable and happy and all these kind of things. And it's interesting because when the psalmist used the word prosperous here, it doesn't mean rich. What it means is, is flourishing. So he says, do you wanna know how to live a, a life that's fulfilling and flourishing where you just come alive? That's what he says, verse 13. Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. You know what he says? Keep your mouth shut. It's, it's the old thing your mom used to tell you. If you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. How, how do we live a long and prosperous life? Well, we don't speak evil or tell lies, first of all. And then it says in verse 14, turn away from evil and do good. So we stop doing evil and start doing good. We search for peace and work to maintain it. Did you catch that part? Search for peace, which seems like a huge thing, doesn't it? Because I, I feel like our world in many ways is devoid of peace right now. And, and I, I'll tell you this, peace is easy to find, it's hard to maintain. We can, we can momentarily find peace. But it's not about attaining it for a moment, it's about maintaining it. That's why he says, and work to maintain it. You'll understand this, if you have Kids, or maybe you, if you ever were a kid, for some of you, I'm not sure, but if, if you ever were a kid or you have kids, you'll understand. Uh, kids will be fighting. And the parent meter is going up, like where you're almost done with it, but you're, and finally you're like, stop it! If you will just stop fighting, I'll give you both a cookie. Right? What happens? Peace. Oh, it's like we have achieved nirvana. Like in this moment, there's peace and uh, everything's good. It's quiet as you hear the little munches in the backseat, right? Then what happens when the cookie's over? The peace ends, the, right? The, 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 the laying down of arms is over and they are back at rah, 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 rah. What happened? Well, you found peace, but you didn't maintain peace. And I would love to say this stops with childhood, it doesn't. I know lots of grown-ups that I wish I had more cookies for. <laughs> Just eat this. 
right? What happens? Well, we can find peace for a moment, but it's work to maintain it. We can find peace for a moment when we hear a message like this and we go, yeah, I'm gonna love people who voted for Democrats. Yeah, I'm gonna love people who voted for Republicans. I'm gonna do it. We have that moment of peace and then we get on social media two minutes after we get out of the church and we go, right? Can you believe they said? I can't believe, it's another, they're coming after, they're going after this. Wait a second. Why, Why don't we find peace and then work to maintain it and go, God, you know what? My peace isn't found who wins the election. My peace is found in you being Lord of my life. Jesus is my peace and Jesus is not going anywhere. Jesus is not losing the election on Tuesday. So no matter what happens, I'm still gonna have my peace. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Do you know how all this happens? It doesn't happen because we will it, because we try harder. It doesn't happen, we don't stop doing evil and start doing good. We we don't stop speaking evil and stop telling lies just because we go, well, I guess I better try this. Do you know how it happens? It's when we submit our hearts fully to Christ. It's when we go, Jesus, you are my top affection. You are what I want more than anything else in the world. And the Holy Spirit begins to help us do these things because we can't will it. We can't try it hard enough to make it happen. So what happens? Well, we submit our hearts to Christ. And before we know it, we stop speaking evil about people. The the lies that came so naturally to us before just dry up and stop. The things we used to love to do, we don't do anymore. Now we find ourselves doing things that seem to be unnatural, but it's it's good. Where we would default to fighting before, now we're defaulting to peace and love and care. Why does that happen? Because our hearts are fully submitted to Christ. Don't be nervous. Second point is much shorter than the first. Our actions declare the identity of Jesus. See, our words declare the identity of Jesus, but our actions declare the identity of Jesus as well. Um, I've told you before, I worked for a minor league baseball team for a year. I was the director of business operations, and that minor league baseball team is now out of business. And that's nothing to do with me, I promise. It wasn't my fault. Um, But... I had some people that worked for me and some interns and, um, and I was a youth pastor before this. I didn't know anything about baseball and business and I just fell into this. And so I read a book about marketing and the only thing that I can remember from that book is that the author said this, everything your organization does is marketing. We think that it's billboards and signs and print pieces and video ads or whatever it might be, but everything your organization does. So it's the way they interact with customers and clients. It's the way they treat people on the phone. Everything that they do is marketing. So what the author was saying is everything you're doing is telling the story about who you are as an organization. And I want you to hear this. Your words are important when telling the story of Christ. But people won't care what you say if your actions are telling a different story. If your actions don't declare the deity of Jesus Christ, then it doesn't matter how strong your testimony with your words are. Because everything you do is is marketing when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ. In James chapter two, verse 26, it says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith dead without good works. I don't want this to sound crass, but I, I'm gonna tell you this story. Um, I worked for a couple of years when we were helping start a church. It was around the time I worked for the baseball team. After that, I, I 
took a job as a corporate recruiter. And I was trying to get the business of a, uh, of a funeral home chain in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And it was a large chain and they had mortuary services and embalming services, all kinds of stuff. And uh, I was gonna meet one of, their, one of their executives at one of their locations and take a tour of their facility. And really I was gonna do the hard sell. And I was just, I was gonna close him while I was there. And so I was ready and I showed up and we were walking through the facility and he was showing me around. And we go through these big swinging double doors and we walk into this room and it was cold and kind of, um, you know, concrete and steel in this room. And it was what you would imagine. There was big drawers and there was a table on the side of the room. And like, I had seen dead bodies at like funerals when the casket was open, but I walked into this room and there was this body that I'm assuming was dead laying on a table in the side of the room. And not only was there a dead body there, he was naked. So, big, naked, dead guy in the room, and me and this executive had been walking and talking, like we were doing the walk and talk, and we, this is where he decided to pause and have a conversation. Have you, ever, have you ever talked to somebody and they had like spinach in their teeth, and you couldn't help but look at it, like you're talking to me, you're like, no, maintain eye contact, but your eyes are just drawn to the spinach, you can't help but look at it, and you're like, oh gosh, like, how do I not look at this? This is what was happening in the room. This guy's standing there and my eyes keep drifting over and not against my will. I was trying not to look at the, this guy and I couldn't help it. My eyes kept drifting. It was like, no, fight it, fight it. And I couldn't. <laughs> oh, it was painful. I don't even know what happened in the meeting. I think I blacked out. <laughs> so here we are, we're having this conversation and he didn't have to tell me, oh, hey, this is a dead body, Okay. The evidence was clear. That I didn't have to go check his pulse. I didn't have to go check his breath to see he was breathing. I, I didn't have to do that. I knew, based on the evidence, that there was no life there. What happens in churches all the time is people prop up dead bodies. And they say, no, 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 I promise. I promise. My faith is active and it's alive. Really? Yeah, for sure. Just look at it. It's got clothes on and everything. It's like Weekend at Bernie's, you remember that? We, we come dragging our faith in, like see my faith is active, it's alive. But there's no evidence of life because what we see here, James says the evidence that your faith is alive is good works. And we go, no, no, no I do have good works because I come to church on Sunday. Even when it's kind of raining outside and it's kind of cold, I'll still come to church. No, 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 I watched the women's conference this weekend. No, I joined a small group. Well, I didn't really join a small group. I signed up and I never went, but I still signed up, so. No, I gave. I give in the offering sometimes. See, good works. No, that's not good works. That's, that's what Christians are already supposed to do. You don't get credit for that, right? There's supposed to be good works flowing from us and out of us that's evidence that we're alive. We shouldn't have to convince anybody that we're alive. No, 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 I promise there's a pulse check. People should see us and they should know by the way we look, by the way we act, by what we love, by what we say. They go, there's evidence that there's life there. But yet so many of us spend our time trying to convince people that our faith is alive. And, and what James makes very clear is if your faith 
doesn't produce good works. It is dead, just as dead as that guy laying on the slab was. But yet we dress it up and we go, no, 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 my faith is alive. And when we have dead faith and we claim to be Christians, we are communicating something about who our Jesus is. James 1, 22 through 25 says this. And by the way, I read James this last week and James is my favorite book of the Bible. James 1, 22 through 25 says this. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. We've talked about this verse several times in the past. Um, I mean, James is talking to the church. He's talking to church people. And he says it's not enough to hear what you're supposed to do and to know what you're supposed to do. You have to do it. You, 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 you have to look in the mirror, recognize what's wrong, and then fix it. I don't know about you. Whenever I leave the house, I look in the mirror. It may not appear that way, but I promise I do. In fact, I'll be out in the lobby before the service, and before I come in to find my seat, I'll go in the bathroom, I'll wash my hands, because that's what I do, and I'll wash my hands, and then I'll check my beard, because once I've worn my mask for 40 minutes in the lobby, my beard gets crazy. I mean, it is, there are hijinks going on with this thing. Like, it'll wrap around my mask, like it's holding on to my mask, it doesn't want to let go for some reason. Anyway, so I have to like flatten it and straighten it and like, you know, get it right, and then I'll come in. Why? Because I don't want mask beard going on while I'm preaching, okay? It's, it's, it's nice because I've got a wife who loves me. That's a bonus. And there are times she's like, hey, baby, you got something in your beard. I'm like, All right. And I'm like, oh, it's half a Slim Jim. What's that doing in there, right? And like, huh. I knew I left that somewhere. I couldn't remember. Or we'll have a really good service. And man, the Spirit of God will be moving. And my wife will look over at me and go, do I have any mascara on my face? all over. The whole thing. It's the whole thing. It's mascara. <laughs> okay, thank you. What's she saying that for? She wants to fix it, right? She said, if it's not the way it's supposed to be, I want to fix it. And, and this, is what, this is what we see here in the book of James. He's saying, hey, when you hear the word, but, but don't do the word, what it's like is the person who looks in the mirror and goes, oh my gosh, I've got a Slim Jim sticking out of my beard, right? Oh my gosh, I've got mascara all over my face. <gasps> They go, that's eh, fine. They walk off. Oh my gosh, some, I need to do, nah, it's okay, this is good enough. Nah, nothing needs to happen, it's fine. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? But yeah, that's what we do spiritually all the time. We go, ah, it's good enough. That's ah, fine. Ah, uh, you know what, the 1% the, the, the of my life that I'm giving to God, he should be happy with that, it's good enough. Yeah, but you've got, no, 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 but it's good, I'm fine. See, the correction happens because we love each other. My wife corrects me because she goes, no, I love you, and I know you don't want to look like that, right? The correction happens because we love. It's not to, to punish, but yet that's the way we receive it. See, something needs to change, but we don't want to change it because we're apathetic, we're comfortable, we're happy, we go, it's good enough. 
And at the end of the day, this is what causes problems in the body of Christ. This is what causes the world to wonder about the life that's in us and what we are communicating about Jesus. Mahatma Gandhi said this. He says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. This is damning. This is convicting for us. That an unbeliever would say, man, Jesus, I can get on board with Jesus. The problem is nobody that calls themselves Christians actually act like Jesus. And the reason many times we don't act like Jesus is because the reality is Jesus hasn't captured our hearts. He's not the center of our lives. The reason that I can talk to people who aren't believers, who don't go to church, and they can say to me, Pastor Mel, man, I like you. I like what you're doing as a church. I just don't see the need to go to a church. Well, how come? Because I act like all your church people. I know the people that go to your church, and they do the same things I do. So why should I have to go to church on Sunday morning when we're doing the same thing? I'm a nice guy. I'm moral. I'm not, I'm not abusing my kids. I'm good to my wife. We're acting the same way. At the end of the day, our actions are communicating something about the identity of Jesus. What we're communicating many times is that, that Jesus is really nice, he's really great, he's really important, but he's not supreme. And Jesus didn't come to this world and lay down his life to be a, a cog in the wheel. He, he didn't come to this world and lay down his life so that you could get to heaven someday. Yes, that's part of it, but he came to this world and laid down his life so that you could come alive, so dead people could come to life. And the problem is too many dead people have remained dead while yet calling ourselves alive. Matthew 15, eight through 19, this is the last passage I'll read to you. Jesus says this, um, he's talking about, he's talking about the, the Pharisees, religious people. And he quotes Isaiah chapter 29, and he says this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. He said they talk a good game, and they know all the right things to say, but the evidence of their actions say something else. Because the Pharisees, they would manipulate their people. They would manipulate followers. They would, they would use the, the law to crush people and to gain a bigger standing. And, and what Jesus was saying is they say all the right things, but their, their actions are saying something else entirely. At the end of the day, I think if Jesus was standing here with us, he would ask you the same question that we asked at the beginning of this message. Yeah, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do your words say that I am? What do your actions say about me and say about my identity? Who do you say that I am? You know, one of the prayers we've been asking you to pray, and I hope you have, over the last few weeks is this prayer, make us one so that we can influence culture. And start with me. God, make us one, not just at Summit, but across this community, churches that, that are followers of Jesus. Make us one. What do we do? How do we do that? Well, we submit our hearts fully to God. We, we fall desperately, passionately in love with Jesus Christ. 
And then what happens is he begins to keep our tongue from speaking evil and our lips from telling lies. We begin to turn away from evil and begin to do good. We search for peace and then work to maintain it. These are the things that happen when our hearts are fully submitted to Christ. These are the things we begin to do. So God, do these things, but start with me. Don't start with another church. Don't start with another pastor. Don't start with another group of people. Start with me. Start with us. Help us set the, the pace and set the course and show people how to love unconditionally. Let's start with us. One of the challenges I've been giving you over the last couple of weeks is to find an opportunity to love unconditionally someone you disagree with politically. And here's what I would love you to do. Um, I would love for you to let me know what you've done. Shoot me an email. Just shoot me an email. Don't, don't send me a Facebook message. I will not see it and I will not respond to it. Send me a, an email and let me know, hey, here's what I've done to love someone unconditionally that I disagree with politically. If you haven't done anything yet, that's okay. You still got a little time. I would love for you to do that. Bless somebody, encourage somebody, pray for somebody, befriend somebody. Find a way to bless somebody, to love someone unconditionally you disagree with politically. All these things we're talking about, I've referenced it several times. Come back to our affection for Jesus. If Jesus isn't the center of everything, then all the things we do is just behavior modification. It's just trying to get you to behave better. If Jesus isn't fueling it and the center of it, nothing else matters. So today I just wanna ask, is Jesus the center of your life? Is he the core of who you are? Have you given him everything, surrendered everything to him? And if you haven't, today's your day. I wanna give you that opportunity. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. Heavenly Father, I pray that you have your way with us over these next few moments. I pray if there are people here who have yet to surrender their hearts to you, let today be the day. If there are people here who maybe, maybe they've realized today their faith is dead. God, I pray that you would just breathe life into them like never before. Help them find how good it is to surrender their hearts fully and unconditionally over to you. And I pray that dead people would come to life today. So you gotta have your way with us over these next few moments. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, you know what? What you described is me. Maybe you were religious, maybe you've, you're a church attender, but you recognize today that you're not really serving God. You're not really in relationship with Christ, but you need to be. If that's you, I would love for you to, to just acknowledge that. And I would love for you to slip your hand up real high where I can see it. If you would like me to pray for you and include you in this final prayer. Yeah, I see your hand on my left. Yeah, I see you on my left. Thank you, another hand, three hands on my left. Praise God, praise God. Who else would say, pray for me? Yeah, over here on my right, I see you. Awesome. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these? Yeah, I see you, ma'am. You can put your hand down on my left. Thank you. Yeah, I see you up there on my right. Praise God. Praise God. The book of Romans tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And that's really the beginning of this process that we say yes to Jesus and realize that he's been saying yes to us from the beginning of time, that he's been pursuing us, that he's in love with us. It really is the beginning of a relationship. And so I wanna invite you into this relationship today. And so I'd like every person in this place to, to pray this prayer with me out loud. I want you to say this with your mouth, but I want you to mean it from the, the core of who you are, from your heart. So say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving Jesus 
your one and only son to pay the penalty for my sin by dying on the cross. I repent of my sin and I turn away from my old life and I commit to chase after you. Be my Lord in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's give God a round of applause today, can't we? Listen, if you prayed that prayer with us today, I want you to know something. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to see what God's gonna do in your life. And I would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So the simplest thing for you to do would be to simply, whether you're here in the room or watching online, simply text the word different to the number 94000. When you do that, we're gonna respond back to you. We're gonna help you take the next step. If you're here in the room and you'd like to fill out a card, you can simply fill out the, uh, the card in the seat back in front of you that says salvation, and then drop it at one of our uh, tables at the doors as you're leaving today. We're gonna give you a Bible and help you take the next step in your faith journey. Our prayer team and some of our staff are gonna be here at the front of the room as we dismiss in just a moment. Um, they're gonna be here for you to pray with. So as, as we're dismissing, if you'd like, please feel free to come forward. Let one of them agree with you in prayer and, uh, and then you can be on your way. If you're watching online and you need prayer, simply uh, let us know by either emailing your prayer need to prayer at summitpa.church or you can uh, hit the live prayer button there if you're watching on our online church platform. Let us know. One of our hosts are gonna pray with you today before we finish up. So thank you so much. Guys, uh, I, my hope for you this week, go out and vote if you haven't voted already. Um, let the Holy Spirit lead you and direct you. I'm not gonna tell you who to vote for or how to vote, but let the Holy Spirit lead you and direct you in what you should do in making wise choices and exercise your civic liberty and your responsibility by doing that this weekend, or this week. But just know this, guys, I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.